is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the show, MD Nation. You're back for another edition of the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also to you by Billy Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined with my partner, Mr. Christopher Dowhauer. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Get ready for this actual summer weather for a change that we're having. I know. Summer is in the air. That means OTAs are in the air. Rookie mini camps are in the air. Training camp is around the corner. That's why we're continuing on with our NFL draft fantasy football analysis coverage here. Uh, Our second to last episode, actually, is we're going to be wrapping up all the NFL teams soon. Then we'll be moving into team profiles and start getting into what our expectations are specifically for the 2021 season. But for now, still focusing on the rookies. Going to be talking about the Raiders. Going to be talking about Washington. Giants, Colts, Titans, Steelers, Browns, Ravens, all in today's show for you guys. But Chris, we're talking about the NFL draft. We've we've talked about, what, 16 teams so far. So we're going to cover up to 24 teams today. And what we've seen is that there's going to be a lot of value, not just from a dynasty perspective, but from a fantasy perspective. But before we get into it, I do want to give... Uh, some notice to some of the news that's been out there recently. The first thing being up is Antonio Brown not officially signed. He has to go through his physical. That sounds like it's just a technicality, nothing to really worry about. Every expectation is that he is going to be fine for his physical once he's done recovering from the knee scope that he had and will be ready to go week one. The thing that I want to talk to you a little bit about before we dive into uh, the Raiders here in a second is the Julio Jones rumors. Now, I don't know about you, but for me personally, it doesn't make any sense in the world to me that Atlanta would actually trade Julio at this point. The second they drafted Kyle Pitts, I was surprised to even hear that the Julio Jones rumors were still out there. Now, what I will say for Julio Jones' fantasy value in it of itself, whether he stays in Atlanta or gets traded anywhere, his value is only tied to his ability to stay on the field. If he's out there, he's a wide receiver one. And you just, but you're just going to have to worry about the injuries. And we're going to have to evaluate him as such as we get closer to August and start figuring out exactly where he should be drafted at because injuries have become such a factor, especially over the past couple of seasons, that it has been a detriment to your team, especially when drafting him too early. So we're going to go into that. But regardless, when he's on the field, he's a wide receiver one. In dynasty leagues, he belongs on those teams that are trying to make a championship run. But Chris, talk to me about Julio Jones. Where would you like him to go if he was to get traded and his fantasy value in general in your eyes? I mean, there seems to only be a couple of teams that seem to actually be rumored to offer anything for him. One of the big things for trading for Julio is you're going to be able to eat his salary. Um, so you have a lot of teams that, you know, between the free agency and some of the draft picks that they've signed, a lot of teams had the opportunity to do that. The ones I'm kind of hearing are about the 49ers. Um, I heard the, the Patriots and I've also heard Green Bay. Um, I think Green Bay is more, more of a hopeful thing than maybe we'll try to bribe Aaron Rodgers to come back. Where I'd like to see Julio line up would be Green Bay personally, um, because I think that if Aaron Rodgers Is that enough returned, to bring Aaron Rodgers back? I feel like it would I don't, be. I, I think it would definitely be more enticing to come back. Um, I think that he's still going to see his own money and his own guaranteed contract coming through. I think that's part of what we're kind of waiting for, where he wants his future kind of guaranteed as well. Um, but I, where I'd like to see him 
there in Green Bay is because I think you pair up him and Adams, you have pretty much the premier uh, receiving core you could ask for. Um, I mean, you have a guy who's all, absolutely um, a beast when Devontae Adams, who can run the whole route tree, can do all underneath stuff. And then you have a person like Julio Jones is basically have like the Ferrari on the other side, the guy who could push the ball down the field. The guy can also run all the different routes. And you give Aaron Rodgers for a change, actually two good receivers. He hasn't had two good receivers since he had Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams. Um, I kind of like to see the return of that. And hopefully that would kind of maybe entice Aaron Rodgers to come back because I'd rather see him play this year than retire. I think Aaron Rodgers would rather play this year and retire too. I just have to think, even if his extension didn't get done, if he has the proposition of being able to play with Devontae Adams and Julio Jones, I feel like Aaron Rodgers would feel like that's too good for him to pass up that uh, that opportunity to see what he could do with those two ridiculous wide receivers as a pairing. I mean that. I mean, I don't know if I could even think of a better duo ever if a Julio Jones and a Devontae Adams were to pair up with one another. I, it'd be too good to pass up in my mind. Well, I think the key thing, though, is Aaron Rodgers would have to agree to an extension on his contract because right now how Green Bay is kind of constituted, Aaron Rodgers with his, his cap hold basically held them hostage in a sense free agency-wise this year where they couldn't sign any free agents because they were such up against the cap. Um, so if they were to trade for Julio, it would basically mean Aaron Rodgers is coming back because the only way they can do so is, like I said, if they restructure his contract and make him give him more guaranteed you know, dollars down the road. Yeah, ultimately that move would have to go hand in hand. I agree with you there, but I don't think he winds up getting traded from Atlanta at the end of the day. I think it's you stupid, only, personally. Yeah. Well, you draft Kyle Pitts, which is what Arthur Smith wanted. There was that big thing going into the NFL draft with, between Arthur Smith and the GM. The GM wanted to go quarterback, start the rebuild process. Arthur Smith did not. So Arthur Smith ultimately won out the battle, meaning in my eyes, the idea is the Atlanta Falcons should be making a push for the playoffs this year. And if you're going to do that, you're going to need Julio Jones in order to do that. Otherwise, I'm frankly, drafting Kyle Pitts doesn't make any sense. So that's well, what I keep going back to as far as that goes. So I, I don't see Julio moving on. Plus, the package that you would want for a Julio Jones, even with the three teams that could actually afford a salary cap, you're not going to get that package. So I don't see the benefit there either as far as getting the value back in return. Yeah, I mean, absolutely great point. And I think the other thing that's kind of confusing to me is it's not like it's going to save Atlanta money this year. It's They're going to have a, a hell of a cap right. hit regardless of they exactly. trade Julio. And they're going to have a hell of a cap next year. So if you're going to keep Matt Ryan, which is everybody basically said they're going to do for the next two years, then what's the point? Because if you're going to sit there and have these these numbers hitting your books next year, it's not like it's opening up any opportunity for somebody else to go sign somebody else. I mean, I, for me personally, I wait till next year to try to move on from Grady Jackson or somebody along those lines. I'm not paying him $20 million. I'd much rather have Julio. Yeah. Ultimately, though, if you have Julio in Dynasty, if you're looking at him from a redraft perspective, it doesn't matter where he is all that matters is whether or not he can actually stay on the field at a better clip than he has the past two seasons and that part is going to frankly it's going to remain to be seen but let's get into our episode here let's get into the raiders the raiders has very very little fantasy value to talk about here by the way uh, because they kicked things off with alex leatherwood which was a bit of a reach i don't hate alex leatherwood but given what they gave up on the offensive line throughout, this means, what's his face? Colton Miller is going to be the left tackle, uh, which is a catastrophe in and of itself. Alex Oliver can't be the left tackle. He has to play right tackle. They've already said he's going to play right tackle, so at least you have that going for him there. And then the rest of their draft was just defense. Chris, I have a question for you. 
how many safeties are the Raiders going to play in their secondary this year? It's like safety and running back are like, oh, no, we just need those two positions. Apparently, when it comes to Gruden and Mayock, we need five of those. I'm, I'm looking at the amount of safeties they drafted. And, and last I checked, Jonathan Abram was their best defensive player to begin with. He's a safety. How many safeties are you? Are you playing a three, three, five? Are we playing a West Virginia defense back there? What is going on? I mean, I, I understand that they're going to try to move Devon um, Diablo to uh, linebacker is pretty much the plan. Um, but to your point, even with doing that move, they have an ungodly amount of um, draft capital and money spent on the safety position. They seem to be drafting safeties almost every year and be seen signing safeties every year. Um, I don't know what their plan is necessarily defense. I'm guessing they're trying to find one that will finally be a good pairing in a sense because everything they've kind of thrown out the safety position has kind of struck out for them in a lot of ways. Abrams, Abrahams has been you know, banged up most of his, his career so far. When he's out there, he's one of the more productive guys, um, but they have a lot of hard time keeping him out there. And what I, from what I understand, they're looking at possibly if they were to bring some of these safeties in, depending on how kind of camp unfolds, he might actually get moved on from. Everything's been insane. So this isn't really a fantasy question, but there's not really much fantasy-wise to talk about the Raiders for this draft. So, let, let's talk about this for a split second while we have the opportunity to do so. Gruden probably won't be the first one fired, but how long until Mayock is? Because I'm scratch Mayock's supposed to be this, and it came in as this NFL analyst scouting guru. The drafts he has had since entering the building have been horrendous. Every pick has been every pick has been rich. Not one, not one has been good value. Every single pick has been. I think the only good value pick was Morig in the second round this year at the safety position. So yeah. as the only is the only value pick I can ever every single one has been a reach. So is Mayock fire at the end of this year and is Gruden fi- file after that? The, the Gruden contract is is a hard situation because he has so many years on his deal. I don't know if you can afford to fire him. Yeah, I mean you make an excellent point. I don't know who the scapegoat is going to be because the first thing I hear and I think you are, and kind of agree with this it kind of goes hand in hand. Most of these players, most of these reaches, quote unquote, have been John Gruden's, you know, sign of approval or even guys that maybe he wants more. Well, so everything he may signing off on, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things from what I understand is it's not so much what Mayock wants it's what Gruden wants. And Mayock's kind of gone and kind of going along with the, the flow in a sense. Um, I think that maybe he becomes a scapegoat because he's the easiest guy to kind of replace. But I also think that maybe with the, you know, the COVID thing kind of drifting off, hopefully moving forward, once those, those that stadium starts filling up in Las Vegas, I think the Raiders will probably move, move on from Gruden more, sooner than later because then that way they can just kind of eat that contract in a sense and move on. Because I think both of them need to go. Um, there's nothing that's improved over, for the Raiders the last three years. Uh, I think they continuously have been a mediocre team. They continue to have a mediocre draft. They have free agency whiffs after whiff. Um, and then we always hear some kind of you know spectacular players supposed to be rumored to go there, whether it was Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Julio has been thrown out there. Um, but I, they still have cap issues. That's why they had to cut their entire off the line. So, I mean, you look at a team that has no, basically very, very little talent to show for everything um, other than the safety position, other than the running back position, which seems to be just something they're just, you know, having a glutton of for no reason. Um, we, we saw them move on from a third-round pick in Edwards last year who basically got no opportunity to do anything for the team. So, I mean, they're just kind of just drafting guys and get rid of them under the year or two. I mean, I think you can see that, you know, Hurst got moved on from, I think, the last uh, three – Second rounders have already been cut from the team in the last two, three years. So, I mean, it's just ridiculous what they're doing right now. And I think somebody's head needs a roll. Um, I don't know who it is. They can only fire so many defensive coordinators and keep blaming the defensive coordinator for all the problems. But, I mean, 
yeah, I think this this situation is just you know atrocious. There, there's two things that have kind of kept some of the fire off of Gruden to this point, and that is the Raiders have been around a 500 team competing, and they play in the same division as the Chiefs. Those two things have kind of kept the fire off them to some degree. You and I both agree they might be right down there with the Texans as far as some of the worst teams in the league this season because of the drastic fall, and not to mention everyone in their division got significantly better in one capacity or another. So that's why we're looking at this season as the Raiders are going to be backpacking probably in the top five next year. What happens then? It's just going to be interesting to see especially with the Vegas and we still haven't had fans in the Vegas stadium yet. It's still a beautiful stadium. No one's actually touched yet. It's just going to be curious to see after this, but nothing else to really talk about here. So let's go to a team that actually had some fantasy value to talk about, which was Washington football team. It, 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 it literally tastes like vinegar to have to keep saying Washington football team. It drives me absolutely up a wall, but unfortunately it seems like it's here to stay at least for another season. Now, they went defense. We both actually liked their first-round pick. We'll talk about that a little bit. Not really a lot of fantasy value there, but we'll talk about it a little bit why we think Jamin Davis really does wonders for that defense. I like Sam Cosme in the second round. Is it questionable whether he was a second-round pick? Yes, but I do like him for that team, especially now that they might be moving on from Morgan Moses as they let him go try to seek out a trade, which will be interesting to see what happens there where he winds up. The real value here is I thought they had a good value for Dynami Brown in the third round. So let's start with him because he's the biggest fantasy player to talk about for Washington. There's a real opportunity here for him because he could step in as the third starting quote unquote wide receiver who would most likely play the when they go three receiver sets, he would most likely play the perimeter curse and will play the slot. So uh, Dynami Brown, what do you like or not like about him for this year and beyond? I don't love him this year because I don't think he's going to be that third receiver. From everything I understand, there Cam Sims is going to be that third receiver that they're looking well, to see, kind of that, use. That's why I say I think he has a pathway to be the third receiver because I do not believe for one second in Cam Sims and his practice squad ability. Uh, Diane Brown is better than he is. If the, if the only way I could see him having a, keeping Diane Brown off the field is if Scott Turner and Ron Rivera are going to be that stubborn about it. But there's nothing special about a Cam Sims. I would be shocked if Diami Brown is not at least a starter sometime in September, if not by week one. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that I've been hearing right. that and it's been driving me nuts that Cam Sims somehow earns a right to be a starting on the other side. Go ahead. I mean, I don't think he earned the right. I mean, if I'm running the franchise, it's a different story, but I'm not running the franchise. And I, I also, from what I understand, Cam Sims is we the were. guy that they love. We were. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> and like I said, I, I think my understanding that they love Cam Sims, and I'm not really sure why. They also threw out Dontrell Inman last year as a second receiver. So, yeah, this isn't a team that does all the most smartest things necessarily. Um, so I don't necessarily love him this year. Long term, I do think he's a good fit for them. He he, he pairs well with McLaurin. Um, I think when you look at McLaurin's ability kind of to run those – Basically, the entire route tree that I was kind of talking about, you need a guy to kind of stretch the field, take the top off. Brown could do that. He was averaging about 20 yards per catch. And when he was in college, he's definitely a big-time playmaker. Um, this guy has some, a lot of skill set. And I think that once he gets on the field and has an opportunity to kind of shine, I think he, ha- he can be a producer. It will be interesting to see if he gets out there this year in particular, because if he could, you at least have Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing any bombs and trying to you know, throw it up for you to give you a shot down the field. If he gets out, he waits till next year, I have a little bit concerned for him, depending on what happens in that quarterback position, because I'm not a Hanky fan, not a Kyle Allen fan. Um, and I think that I've kind of made my point with some Scott Turner things here and there, where I'm not a Scott Turner fan either. I think he loves a dink and dunk. And I think that he's going to have a struggle to kind of use the vertical passing game. But if all those things kind of come into fruition, so to speak, moving forward, 
I do think he has some dynasty value. He is a big playmaker, and I think he's kind of been underutilized just because where he comes from, North Carolina really didn't have a great quarterback position or um, great quarterbacks to the position, and they haven't really utilized his abilities to the best they could. So I do think he has some upside. I do like him as a kind of a flyer to take in the dynasty, but I don't really have him for redraft this year at all. Yeah, I mean, I think I could see some weeks where we might be talking about him in a DFS standpoint. If he's back there as a third receiver with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I kind of, I, I think that might be it as far as 2021 value goes. You're not drafting in redraft leagues, and when you take him in a dynasty, I don't know how many games you're going to roll him out there, especially not early on. But he, to your point, he fits his team well. Now, there's things I don't like about Diami Brown, which is the big one being that he has a very, very limited route tree, 100%. But what I do like about him, I like the receivers who get open down the field, who are big play threats because of their physicality getting off the line. Not always because of their speed. Not always because they have to blow by somebody. This guy can get off the line, beat the corner up, and then beat him. And actually go get those jump balls, which fits really well with what Orion Fitzpatrick likes to be able to throw. So that's why I think it's a little bit interesting. I do think there's going to be weeks where he's going to be valuable, especially, hopefully, logic prevailing. And Cam Sims is like, oh, yeah, no, you're a bum. Let Diami Brown play. So that's going to be the key there. He definitely 100% has dynasty value. Do I ever think Diami Brown is going to be a solid wide receiver too? No, I don't think he'll ever be in that position to get that many targets. But I do think he's a nice compliment to Terry McLaurin. I do think wide receiver three is in his realm of outcomes throughout his career, uh, depending upon what is Washington able to do at the quarterback position. So yeah, he, he reminds me of Adam Scatling from Green Bay. I think he has a lot of similar traits, and there's kind of the guys who can push the ball down the field and aren't really going to be utilized too much close to the you know the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually like him a little bit more than Scatling too because of his physicality. I don't, I don't with Scatling. I feel like he has to be wide open. Diami Brown, I trust him a little bit more to catch the ball in traffic than I would a Scatling. But it's still going to come down to the quarterback position. So that's where. You can get a Diami Brown at the end of the second round in your rookie drafts, maybe even the beginning of the third round. I think he's good value there with the skill set he possesses, being a compliment to Terry McLaurin. But the reason why I wouldn't go any higher than that is because it's a real question mark what Washington's going to do with their quarterback position. They haven't been able to address it. They haven't had a good quarterback in I don't even I can't even count how many years. So it's it's really questionable to see exactly what's going to happen there. But I think he's a nice compliment. I think he's a nice dynasty value. I think we'll talk about him for DFS, but not so much for redraft. Uh, as far as Washington's other draft picks here, let's just talk about Jamin Davis a little bit, what we think he does for the defense and why I thought them going linebacker which shocked some people didn't shock me because I actually thought it was a position of need, but shocked some people and why that is a big deal for them. Yeah, I, mean, I think Jamin Davis was a fantastic draft pick by them. Uh, it seems, like you said, it shocks some people, but I wasn't. A, their front four is great. Their front seven, which seems to get all the credit, really wasn't that great. Their linebacking core definitely wasn't anything that you write home about. It wasn't anything super impressive, but this guy is. This guy has unathletic ability that's kind of test off the charts. I mean, he knocked it out of the ballpark for his, at his pro day. And then on top of it, he's been highly productive. He can guard people out of the backfield. He has one of the best vertical leaps at the linebacking position, which helps you in playing zone. Um, and this guy can basically hopefully be their Luke Kinkley in a lot of ways for this defense. He's going to be a guy who plays sideline to sideline. He ran a 4-4. Um, as long as he keep, you keep bodies off of him, he's going to be highly productive. He has a little bit of um, – sometimes he has a little issue being over-aggressive in some senses and missing some tackles as a result of that. But overall, this guy's really fundamentally sound. He's only been playing the linebacker position, I believe, for like three years now. And he's just basically – coming into his own the last two years. He's been, he was dominant in Kentucky 
And I think he's going to continue to dominate in the pros. I love this pick. I think he's going to be a leader on that defense sooner rather than later. And to your point, because of that defensive line and what he's able to do, he's in a great situation. This helps our defense out a ton, I believe, in order if you if you're looking for Washington's defense to maintain their dominance, maintain their top five, top three, maybe even status, this pick goes a long way in being able to try to help towards that goal 100 percent So Definitely interesting for the team, for the leagues out there that had the defense and special teams. Washington's still going to be a top one to be able to take, and this pick goes a long way in being able to help out with that as well. Um, as far as other picks go, it took Derek Foster. Uh, I'm sorry, hold on. I, I scrolled down a little bit too far because there's somebody I want to talk about later on. They took Sam Cosme, the offensive tackle position. Again, we talked about, you know, that's going to be incredibly valuable, what they're going to get from Morgan Moses, what they're going to do there. That remains to be seen. Third round, they took Benjamin St. Just, a cornerback position. That's a nice little corner for them. I think he fits what they kind of need on the other side there. Uh, we'll definitely not little either, though. Was that? He's definitely not little. No, no, no. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't no, mean, no, like, no, he, I didn't mean he's little. Mean, yeah, no I, yeah no. no, I definitely don't want to clarify. I didn't mean he's little. I mean, he's a good fit for their defense because he's a big physical corner because he can beat the guys up at the line of scrimmage. And because of that pass rush, that's what I think you, you need to compliment your defense. We talk about building rosters all the time. Have your players compliment each other. When you have that defensive front four, when you have that pass rush that you have, it's nice to have the bigger corners are going to jam the receivers at the line and just screw up the timing that much more to be able to get to the quarterback. I think it's a nice little pick. Um, John Bates is the other guy. Now, here's here's my thing about John, and this isn't necessarily about John Bates, but just in general for this, this class for the tight end position. I don't want to get wrapped up in talking about players that don't matter. John Bates, along with some other tight ends who went incredibly too early, fourth round here in this instance, incredibly too early, don't matter. They have some nice skill set features. The draft capital invested in them is a little bit surprising, so people are going to point to that. Ultimately, this is a tight end with a limited skill set who I don't think is going to matter or ever overcome Logan Thomas in his career at any point in time. I don't. I I get people get wrapped up in this all the time because everybody wants to give their two cents, give their analysis. Oh, I watched tape on this guy, and here's what I think about him. Look, we did too. I have some takes on John Bates too, but ultimately, for fantasy football purposes, I don't want to get wrapped up in guys who don't matter. John Bates is one of those guys, along with some other teams who took tight ends in the fourth and fifth round, who just don't matter. I don't know if you want to speak to that at all or not. Yeah, I mean, I think you have Ian Thomas there, and they signed Dan Arnold from Arizona, who's going to be their starting tight end and their primary pass catcher. So when you look at Bates, his, his skill set pretty much is what Arnold brings to the table. He's a glorified receiver. Um, so I think that if you're going to pay you're going to pay that guy, he's going to be the guy who's going to be out there and starting. I don't think John Bates has a, any kind of value this year. And long-term, a lot of those tight ends that get drafted in the fourth round or later are going to wind up just being guys quite often. Yeah. Derek Foster, safety, they took in the fifth round. It took a, a they took a long snapper in the sixth round. I want people on the audio who are not watching the video who might be listening to this on their favorite streaming app, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever, to hear the eye roll in my voice when I say they took a long snapper in the sixth round. And then they took uh, Will Bradley King, defensive end, in the seventh round. They also took Shaka Tony, seventh round. And then they also took Dax, um, Dax Malign, Dax Millen. Let's also say Millen, wide receiver. Uh, Milne. Again, a game Milne. you can go ahead and just forget. It doesn't matter. I don't want he's to got, he's, a, he's a seventh round receiver. His only chance to even make the team this year is if he can be stellar on special teams. I, I'm not worrying about a Dax Mill in the seventh round. If you have something to say, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, I do think he makes the team, and I do think he will be somebody that maybe down the road has some value. This year, he definitely won't. But he is one of those guys who was highly productive at BYU. He's not one of those typical white guys who just kind of just catches the ball. He actually has some athleticism. Um, and he was it was he was Wilson's top target the last two years, and he put up some great numbers at BYU. Now, granted, the competition is always, always the best, but I do think this guy can run a complete route tree, and he might be a little bit of a steal for them in the seventh round. Now, I'm not trying to say he's going to be a superstar by any stretch of the means or, or even productive this year, but I do think he makes the team moving forward. If they didn't sign Curtis Samuel, I would say there's a chance there, but he'll never overcome that, and that's why I kind of just brushed that off, and plus it's a seventh-round pick on top of it. So let's move on. Diami Brown's really the only fantasy player of note when it comes to Washington. We're going to have a lot to say this next team because this next team's New York Giants, and good old Dave Gettleman always giving us lots to talk about, usually erroneously. Chris, I'm going to let you go ahead. Take the floor. Go ahead, take the floor with their first-round pick and Kadarius Tony. Go ahead. All right, so all I've been hearing is about how great the Giants draft was and how spectacular it was that Gettleman traded back for the first time and they accumulated picks for next year and blah, 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 blah. Guess what, people? Daniel Jones. Hey, it was the first the- time he traded back, okay? That's an accomplishment. I know, and he, added, and he will help you next year. So when he gets fired and he brings a new GM <laughs> in, he will be actually helping the Giants a lot next year next three because years. you're going to have two number one picks so you can move up to make sure that you get a good quarterback moving forward. But what I think he didn't do, which everybody thinks to seem that he somehow magically did by drafting Tony, is that he's going to save Daniel Jones's career moving forward. This helps <laughs> Daniel Jones not at all. Um, and in fact, if you wanted to ha- you wanted to help Daniel Jones and you wanted to make a Tony move, then you should have went one step further. Fire Jason Garrett. As long as Jason Garrett's going to be your offensive coordinator, you have no chance to be able to use this guy in any kind of capacity that means anything to the NFL. And if I, I'll just give you two points in Dallas. Um, I'll go with Tavon Austin, and I'll go with uh, Whitehead. I forget the first, the first name was. All we watched him ever do was get some jet sweeps action every once in a while, maybe two to three jet sweeps per game, a couple play action off of jet sweeps, and that's about it. That's what Tony's going to do. But he could play out of the backfield. Uh, you have somebody called Saquon Barkley. So I don't think he's really going to be playing out of the backfield. Uh, but he can have him in a slot. I'm sorry. You have Shepard and you have Ingram. So why would I be throwing the ball once again? The guy who only played receiver position, only played the receiver position last year and only had 60, count them, 60 snaps at the receiver position total. Yeah, he lined up all over the field. Yeah, he lined up at the backfield and lined up all over the place. Great, wonderful. He can't run a route to save his life. Yes, he's explosive. Yes, he has a lot of speed. Uh, I think Cordell Patterson has similar attributes. Seen a lot of guys come out of college with similar attributes. Not worth a first round pick, and definitely does not help the Giants and what they need to inc- improve on. The rest this of the draft. Is, go ahead. No, I was just. This is what I had to say about David Gettleman and Jason Garrett. Prepare to be flushed. Now, I usually don't get to use that drop until we're actually in the season because that's the dump player drop for those of you just joining the show for the first time or or this offseason. But man, oh man, if I could dump Jason Garrett and David Gellman, I would in a heartbeat for everything you just said. This was a waste of a first-round pick. If they took Kadarius Toney in the second round, fine. Wouldn't kill it the way we are. The fact you take him in the first round, that means he's supposed to be a contributor of some sort. He's not going to be a contributor on this team. Now, there's one pathway that I see him getting on the field in 2021 in a more than gadget role. And it's a pathway that's not necessarily that unlikely, which is Sterling Shepard getting injured, 
which he has done every single season. And then they just thrust, they just go ahead and thrust Kadarius Tony into the slot receiver role. But this is where what you said comes to very much in effect. The fact that this is guy is not a good route runner and he's going to have to play the slot receiver position where unless you're just a seam stretcher, which maybe turns out that that's all he winds up being. But if they, if he just winds up being a seam stretcher from the slot, well then what the heck is Darius, uh, Darius Slayton and then uh, Kenny Galladay? Are you just running vertical offense? Is that all you're doing? Because that's what Evan Ingram, that's all you'd be set up to do. Sterling Shepard's really the only one who actually runs good option routes in and out in that entire receiver group. So as long as everybody's healthy, Kadarius Toney's not going to be on the field in any kind of significant way. So 2021's out. As far as moving forward, Tony probably, I want to rephrase this. If Gettleman and Jason Garrett somehow are still around come 2022, and Sterling Shepard's off the team. He will get his opportunity in the slot. So I just want to I just want to make on a record that we're recognizing that part. How David Gettleman and Jason Garrett will still be on the organization in 2022, I don't know. But in case that they are, I just want to put it out there. Yes, that would be a likely scenario. Just just trying to be objective, just trying to be fair. Ultimately, though, Kadarius Tony is nothing more than a gadget player. To your point, very limited actual experience at the wide receiver position. He's going to have to play it. He's never going to play the running back position because uh, a la Saquon Barkley, a la Tavon Austin to Ezekiel Elliott. How many times was he actually out there on the field with the Jason Garrett system? It's the same It's the same player. It's the same situation. It's the same thing, but you spent a first rounder on it. That's why it's terrible. That's why it's horrendous. And as far as fantasy value goes, this is the type of player where yeah, you had the first-round draft capital, and I don't care because the talent, the situation, the fit matter more than the draft capital when it comes to a Kadarius Tony. You're an athlete. You're not a football player, and that winds up being the big difference for me at the end of the day. I don't know if you have anything else to add. We can move I was going to say, just, just to kind of put a stamp onto that real quick, though, we looked at – we watched a McKilla Hardman. We looked at how great, how fast he was, Okay. He has Patrick Mahomes throwing him the ball, one of the best armed quarterbacks there is in the league. You got Andy Reid loves to take shots, and yet the Chiefs still are looking to upgrade the second receiver for a reason. They still didn't have Hardman featured in any kind of way because, to your point, you actually have to play a play receiver at some point in the NFL. You can't just be fast. You can't just be explosive. You actually have to be able to run routes. You have to get off the line. You have to be able to consistently be able to do those things. You might have a huge game here or there, like Hardman did his rookie year. I'm like, oh, look at Hardman. It's going to be great. We're going to have that. Probably hear that similar about Tony. We'll have, a, have three, two or three big plays throughout the season. We'll hear about how great he's going to be. He'll be efficient next year. based off his touches because he only exactly. had five touches and, and they then went for we'll, 80 yards. And then by the third year, fourth year, they'll be like, who are the Giants get the receiver? Because we don't have a true number two receiver. That's what we're going to hear again. So, I, yeah, I just think this is stupid. I think it was complete waste. The rest of the draft was okay, in my opinion. Um, I'm not an Ojolari Og- fan. Hold, hold on. Before you move on, I just want to say one quick thing. Before the draft, before the NFL draft happened, I compared Kadarius Tony to Curtis Samuel as far as what his absolute ceiling would be is Curtis Samuel. And even Curtis Samuel, at his best year so far in his career, is nothing more than a wide receiver three. Okay, go ahead with the rest of the draft. Absolutely. Um Everybody gave him a lot of credit for going Ojolari in the second round because he's considered to be a first-rounder. Never thought the guy should have been a first-rounder in the first place. He's an undersized defensive pass rusher. I watched him get swallowed up against Florida, against a guy who got drafted in the sixth or seventh round for Seattle. Um, I, I just don't think this guy's going to have anything special. Yeah, he's fast. That doesn't always project anything to that as a pass rushing or 
doesn't really have a great skill set, in my opinion. Love the Aaron Robinson signing draft pick. I think that was a fantastic pick. Especially in the third um, round, because he was somebody I had rated yeah. in the second round. Yeah, I think he's, I think I give, I got to give Gettleman credit for that. You actually are going to have good corners for a change, maybe. But the rest of the draft, I'm kind of like, eh. Alderson Smith, who cares? And Gary Brightwell, once again, how many, how many gadget players are we going to have in the backfield? How many guys are we going to have catching the ball? Is Daniel Jones going to throw the ball 60 times a game? Because I'm never going to see that. Well, I'm just trying to figure out what they're trying to build there. Let's not forget they just claimed Reichel Armstead off the waiver wire. Now, it, he probably does a big team, but still, just to kind of further the point. Yeah, I mean, they seem to be searching for running backs to try to throw, to the, throw back there. I understand, Saquon, you have some injury concerns, but what's this guy really going to bring to your offense? And if you were going to spend a first-rounder on Tony, then you don't you don't draft right well because then basically your hope would be if something happens to Saquon, we can use kind of Tony in the gadget role. Now you have two gadget players, and you're, and you're, you're going to do what with them with Jason Garrett as your offense coordinator? Special teams, baby. Special teams. They had one more pick, which was Radarius Williams. Which wasn't a bad move. Sixth round. That wasn't bad. Sixth round pick. We'll see what he turns out to be. That pretty much wraps it up for the Giants. So let's just go ahead and jump into the Colts here. Uh, the Colts had, again, a very unfantasy relevant draft for the most part. But I actually did like the Quiddy Page pick for them. Quiddy Page was somebody that I felt like was very overvalued in general during the NFL draft process. But I think he fits what the Colts do, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially that defensive line, very, very well. The scheme fits him very well. So I think Quiddy Page at the first round pick was a very interesting pick and goes to bolster that defensive line, which is a tough defensive line to run on. Quiddy Page helps, I think, more than that than he does with the pass rushing. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, everybody thinks that he has some, he's got a lot of skills. Uh, maybe he'll kind of put them together moving forward. We kind of saw Gary for Green Bay kind of put it together last year finally. Maybe Pay has a similar kind of light bulb that goes off for him. I think it's a solid pick. I, w- I still don't love the pick either necessarily. I think there's some other guys on the board that would definitely help the team more, but I can't kill it. The one I actually like is the Colin Granson pick with the tight end. You talked about tight ends before about guys, you know, don't get too hyped and too, too excited about some of these tight ends. This is one guy I would get a little bit, keep my eye on. Um, not a big Burton fan. Especially because he's of his team. Exactly. Because his team likes to feature their tight ends. And we already seen them use utilize people like Jack Doyle and Burton uh, pretty efficiently. They seem to not like Ali Cox for some reason. So I do think this guy can actually have some value. We know Carson Wentz loves those tight ends historically. So I think between the, the match of the team and the quarterback, I do think that he could be somebody to kind of keep on your radar this year. Definitely moving forward, but even possibly this year. But hold on, can we talk about that real quick? What does Mo Ali Cox have to do to get a chance? I mean, the guy's a freak. He's an absolute freak. And That's he has come a very long way in his development. Like I get it early on. Early on, he was the rawest of raw pros- prospects. But he has come a long way to where you could definitely put this guy on an NFL field, and he's a mismatch waiting to happen. Maybe there is a possibility there's the opportunity this year, maybe, but... I don't know, just based on the fact that they don't seem to want to give it to him. Mo Ali Cox is a monster waiting to happen, especially for fantasy football purposes, which makes us all the more frustrating for guys like us in this show. What does Mo Ali Cox got to do to get that shot? I think Sally's got to change his body in for a different body. It seems like <laughs> it seems. I mean, it seems like the Colts just want to basically pigeonhole you based on what they think you can do. Um, we've already seen that happen to Marlon Mack. We've already seen that how they use their running back position. We've already seen how they kind of use the tight ends. They have a tight end who they want to be the blocking tight end, and they have a receiving tight end. It seems like Jack Doyle gets the opportunity to do that. And they have a hybrid tight end. Anybody else gets to do it. The only time Alec Cox got a chance to actually be that guy was when both those guys were hurt and out, and then he gets to play. But otherwise, they seem like they just want to have him be the blocking tight end, which I think is sad, 
but it seems to be the reality. Yeah, because he's an athletic freak and an ex-basketball player. But that's the guy that you want to have blocking. Look, to, to speak to the Kylan Granson point, this is a guy, unlike John Bates, who I do think there's a little something there that if you can stash away our taxi squad for the next two years of your dynasty league set up to do that, it's something to kind of do because I do think they move on from Trey Burton at some point. You're not going to continue to pay him. He'll play that role. And that role could be valuable depending upon what they have at the tight end position in front of them. I'm still waiting for the day that the Colts make the trade for Zach Ertz. I still think that's going to wind up being the case before we actually hit training camp. So I'm I'm still kind of waiting for that. But if things stand as they are, that tight end position actually becomes wide open. This is a team that's going to utilize the tight end come one way or another. So Kylan Grants is just somebody of some interest. There's a role because of the team that he wound up on with a certain skill set that he has. It's still a long shot at the end of the day. So don't get it twisted. Don't draft him. But if you want to pick him up and stash oh, yeah, him because no. you have the extra spot, I'm okay with that because there's a certain skill set there, a certain pathway there. Uh, they had Sean Davis, safety, fifth round. Sam Engler, who I don't think is ever going to be anything. I think he's a bum. The first off, he's going to be nice. He's going to be a nice clipboard holder. That's that's all he's going to ever be. Nice clipboard holder there to sixth round. I mean, I don't. If you disagree, you can go ahead and say something. Well, the only reason I can say maybe I disagree is we watched Chase Daniel get how many different contracts throughout his career already. Not Sam everybody screams Chase, Chase Daniel, Daniel can they? to me. I mean, this guy screams Chase Daniel to me though. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I just look at. It. They're like, but he's so he's so dedicated to the game. He brings something, and you're, you're like, why is this guy getting paid as a backup not quarterback? Everybody can be Chase Daniel. At least I hope not everybody can be Chase Daniel. I don't know. Uh, and then they took a wide receiver in the seventh round, Mike Strachan. Uh, he's kind of interesting, six five two. I mean, interesting and in, like. There's a there's a skill set there that is a little bit special. It's not the ordinary run the mill six five two twenty six. Could be a Michael Pittman understudy. We'll kind of see what happens there. But somebody who like maybe just had the name on your radar for taxi squad purposes. I, I don't think any much more than that, but just somebody to kind of note of. Agreed. And I think you look at the Colts, they do have historically give some no name receivers opportunity. So that's a good point. All right. So what we're gonna do is we'll take a quick break. Come back on the other side. We got four more teams to talk about. We're talking about the Titans, the Steelers, the Browns, the Ravens. More interesting fantasy stuff there. Of course, we got the mailbag segment for you guys at the end of the show, too, along with a few polls. I think it's going to be very interesting to talk about. So, everybody, stay tuned right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, you by Belly Up Sports. The MD's Fantasy Football Show will be right back after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the show, MD Nation. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. This is the NFL Draft Recap, especially fantasy-wise, for the Raiders, Washington, Giants, Colts. And now we're beginning to the half of the show where we talk about the Titans, the Steelers, the Browns, and the Ravens. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhower as we're going through these day. All right, Chris, and now we're getting into what's a little bit more interesting for some teams, although I, I should say that when we actually get to the Steelers, because the Titans, eh, not that interesting when it comes to the fantasy perspective, but nonetheless, there is some things to talk about, like their third-round pick for their wide receiver position, Mr. Fitzpatrick there, De or fourth-round pick, excuse me, Des Fitzpatrick. Now, my notes on him is that he's more of a perimeter wide receiver, which actually I'm happy about. 
The reason I'm happy about that is because it means A.J. Brown will get to play inside, outside, and there's no reason, nothing to impede his path and being able to do that. AJ, first and foremost, the fact that they drafted a fourth-round wide receiver and signed Josh Reynolds, and that is their replacements for an Adam Humphreys and Corey Davis and Janu Smith, it's beautiful for people like us, because I think I can include you in this one, who are A.J. Brown lovers. I mean, he is set up to have ungodly volume going into this season. So talk about Desmond Patrick, but also talk about A.J. Brown, how you see this receiving core shaking out and their value for 2021 and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I think that to your point, A.J. Brown finally gets to be used how he's supposed to be used. I keep hearing about how the Titans needed to target a slot receiver, and I couldn't understand why. People <laughs> seem to recall um, when Adam Humphreys went out, that's when A.J. Brown took off. Because when you can line A.J. Brown in a slot, when you can move him around, this guy is like Jarvis Landry on There's crack. no nickel corner. I mean, cover exactly, him. exactly. No, no, no nickel can corner, cover can corner him. I mean, cover him. Um, and not only that, you, you can't just key on him. So I think the fact that he can move all around the field is key for him because I don't want A.J. Brown just lining up on the outside where if I double him, then what happens? Now I can't. And if he, being able to move him all around with the, tra- the threat of Henry allows him to always have that um, – safety kind of attention somewhere else. So you can't really take away AJ Brown with his ability to do and what he can bring to the table. I also think, I think Fitzpatrick um, is a nice signing. I'm a big Fitzpatrick fan. Honestly, I remember when I was coming into this draft this year, I kept hearing about Louisville receiver. I kept thinking it was going to be Fitzpatrick. They were going to talk about it. wound up being two, two Atwell seemed to be the guy that everybody seemed to love, um, which I know you yeah. don't love. Yeah. Um, I do on, know I that you. was, how much I hate Tutu Atwell. Go ahead, continue. But that was the guy, it threw me a curveball because I was like, they kept talking about this guy small and he's he's, he's super fast. And I'm like, what receiver are you talking about? Because I don't know who I'm watching. I think this guy's actually really good, Fitzpatrick. I think he can kind of do everything Corey Davis did in a lot of ways. Um, I think he's going to be able to not just stretch the field, but I think he's actually got a nice little route tree he can run. He's big, he's strong. He's going to be able to block, which is going to help that perimeter run even more. Um, and I think that inevitably he does take Josh Reynolds' job. So I don't necessarily know if he has a great value this year per se, but I do think somebody in dynasty-wise, I'm definitely keeping on my radar because we talked about how A.J. Brown is going to be kind of featured, but there's still going to be a lot of targets that need to be kind of spread around for the offense with no Janu Smith, without Adam Humphreys, with no pass-catching running back necessarily. So you do have opportunity for him to actually have a pretty good solid career in a sense an opportunity moving forward. So that's a guy who I think could be a steal for dynasty leagues. Yeah. I, someone's going to catch the ball because you, you ran the ball 400 times with Derrick Henry. I can't imagine him doing that again. Even if he did, somebody else has AJ Brown has to catch the ball. So I'm right there with you. It's not Josh Reynolds is, is he's just a guy. It's all he is. So from dynasty standpoint, I really like Fitzpatrick 2021 is going to be one of those things where it's going to have to play out. You're not going to draft them in redraft leagues. And if you haven't dynasty leagues, at some point during the season, he might go on a little bit of run. He might uh, assert himself as the starter opposite of AJ Brown. That it's in the cards, maybe, maybe not. They paid a they paid a little extra money to Josh Reynolds, and they should have. And I think as a result of that, I don't yeah, know if Patrick will really be able to take over that position at any point in 2021. Maybe if they move Reynolds in the slot and have him go in and out with AJ Brown at times, maybe he'll play in three receiver sets in those situations, possibly because they don't really have anybody else. But I do like Fitzpatrick 
the situation he's in, there's a pathway for him to get significant playing time as a fourth round pick. He has a nice skill set that actually complements AJ Brown pretty well. So I could see him being a guy of some interest as a wide receiver four, let's say, maybe a wide receiver three, but somewhere in that territory, I believe, for a, for a Des Fitzpatrick there. Uh, it's a nice fit. He's a guy, again, because of the situation, because there's really nobody of note there other than one guy, there is a pathway where he is a little bit of a sleeper value. So just a guy to kind of take note of for Dynasty Leagues. But I'm telling you right now, and I want to get more into this when we talk about the team profiles, but A.J. Brown is going to be one of my biggest surging players going into my rankings this year because everything is just lining up. The biggest thing that's held him back is getting the volume that we want him to get. That's not going to be an issue this year. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see. As far as the rest of the draft goes, there was one other receiver that they took, which was uh, Racy McMath. I Special teams guy at best. I don't really care about him. I don't see a, a skill set there where he ever becomes anything significant. So let's talk about more of their draft, Chris. Let, let's talk about the fact that they got Caleb Farley with a 22nd pick in the first. That was a great pick. First of all, huge position of need for the Tennessee Titans, number one. Goodbye, Dory Jackson. That was a failed experiment. I hated him from the get-go. He was nothing but an athlete. And uh, they also got rid of... Did they get rid of Malcolm Butler? I believe Malcolm Butler's gone now, too, if I'm not mistaken. They talked about Green. I'm not sure if they got rid of Butler or not. Well, I, we'll I have to check that. We'll have to check that later. Yeah, Regardless, not anybody who's shutting down anyone. Caleb Farley was, I believe, both of our number one corners heading into this draft and probably would have been the number one corner con- uh, unanimously throughout the NFL had it not been for the injury concerns, quote-unquote, even more so in the Patrick Sertan, more so in the J.C. Horn, more so than any of those guys. So that was a great pick for them. They needed it desperately. Uh, so it's a good draft pick there. Uh, Dylan Redunds, the offensive tackle, I think there could have been some better options there. However, they needed to address the offensive tackle position in the worst way. They did do that ultimately. I think Redunds is a a decent player. Maybe not doesn't have the great top end potential that you would look for, but I think will be a solid offensive line player for them. Uh, Monty Rice, linebacker, and the third round, Elijah Molden, the cornerback. Again, Desmond Patrick, a fourth round. Rashad Weaver. I actually thought that was decent value for Rashad Weaver in the fourth round at defensive end. Sixth round from LSU that took Brady Breeze to safety. So, Chris, give me give me the Titans draft grade overall in your mind. Yeah, I give the Titans a C plus. Um, I think that overall that they had a I think the Farley draft pick was a spectacular. I think that's um, why I give him a B minus single handedly because okay. of that. And I I mean I couldn't argue with that. The reason I'm going a little bit lower than that. Is that I look? I like the Fitzpatrick signing. I think the Weaver was a nice value, but I think that to your point, real, Dylan Rodez is a guy who's going to be solid. I don't know if he's necessarily a mauler. Um, he's more of a finesse kind of tackle, and I don't know if he's necessarily going to be what they need on the other right side. He's not Conklin. Um, they seem to try to be replacing him. He's not Wilson. Wilson was a big monster. People kind of seem to forget that even though he kind of flamed out, his his role was he was going to be a guy who could just road grade people. Rendez doesn't really doesn't do that that well. Um, and I think that Monte Rice was definitely a reach, in my opinion. Bolden's a solid guy. I like him. But I think when you went Farley already, you got guys who were kind of... Um, well, they need more than one corner. I was going to say, they need more than one corner. But I think that you have guys that they could have actually... They could have dressed some other positions, and I think on their team, they kind of need to upgrade in some senses. I think their depth is going to be kind of hurting other positions as a result. And they could definitely could have used an extra defensive lineman. Like I said, I like Weaver. But I think when we kind of look at what they had, their, their big Achilles heel other than their cornerback position has been their pass rush. 
And they really didn't do a great job of necessarily addressing that, in my opinion. Um, and I think that overall, I think they got good. The Farley thing was spectacular. I mean, to your point, I think he was probably, he's definitely my top corner. Back injury or no back injury, I didn't care. They worked for them great with Justin Simmons a couple of years ago. And Justin Simmons missed the entire season and still wound up being a superstar down the road. This guy's not going to miss the season. This guy's going to be playing in the beginning of week one. So I'm not really sure what everybody else was worried about. But I, I think they're all going to regret it because these guys like Mashar. Sorry, I'm saying the wrong name. He's like Lattimore. Um, to me, a lot of ways, Michelle Allen were in a lot of ways. And I think this guy's going to have an opportunity to be a superstar in this league now. And to your point, you don't think they address the pass rush position for fantasy purposes for this show that bodes again, better for AJ Brown, Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, because even though Farley's a great pick, this is still a defense that I think is going to be giving up close to 25 to 30 points a game. Frankly, when I, when I map this thing out, so there's a lot of fantasy points to be had with this team. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, as also kind of why I was down on the Molden pick, there were some great safeties that were still on the board, and I think their safety play is atrocious. So I think that you're absolutely going to be able to beat them over the top. You have been the last few years. I don't see that necessarily changing. My only concern with A.J. Brown and the offense in general is losing Arthur Smith. I think people are going to recognize Arthur Smith was a genius in a lot of ways. He's a hell of a coordinator, and I do not think Todd Downey can hold his jockstrap. So we're going to see how that moves forward. And we're going to talk about more about that in particular when we get into the team profiles especially as well. So let's jump into our next team, which is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they have the number one rookie running back for at least 2021, if not beyond, on both of our boards, Najee Harris, in the first round. This was the perfect landing spot for really any running back, but especially Najee Harris. He's not going to get pigeonholed here. He will be utilized as a bell cow. We know Mike Tomlin likes using one running back if he can help it. The only concern I have, and we have a poll, so we're going to talk about Harris again a little bit later on the show, but the only concern I have is the putridness of that offensive line because last year, 3.5 yards per carry was the team average. That Not only was that worse in the league, it wasn't even close. That's how bad it was when that offensive line and that running attack and that and that's not because Connor turned into a plotter. That's how bad that offensive line was. It's the only concern that I have when it comes to Najee Harris. But volume being king at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy who's not only gonna get the bulk of the carries, but he's also gonna get receptions. And that will feed him. He will have a high floor no matter what. Najee Harris to me in redraft leagues is a second round pick. Or dynasty leagues. Looking at this long-term, I don't care what the long-term output is of Ben Roethlisberger. I don't care what the long-term output is of that offense. The offensive line will get better. It's Pittsburgh. They're going to feed. When they have a running back they feel like they can feature, they're going to feature him. And therefore, he's probably the safest and the top running back of this draft class. Hands down, number one pick should be the number one running back coming off your boards in your rookie dynasty drafts. Chris, talk to me about Najee Harris. Yeah, I mean, fantasy-wise, he has to be your top pick, in my opinion. Um, and I think you can redraft. You, like you said, I'm looking at this guy as an RB1 possibly this year. I think he can slip no farther than the third round. I'm looking the second or third round to take him myself. I think this guy has unbelievable opportunity. Um, we know the Ben likes to throw the ball to the guys in the backfield. This guy can catch the ball. He can run. He's a, solid, he's, you know, a, a physical runner. And one of the things, while I do question some of the line um, and not addressing especially the tackle position in general, I do think Kendrick Green's going to be wind up panning out really well for them and actually help Najee Harris considerably because Kendrick Green's one of those, he's going to play the center position for them. And he's one of those, he's like, uh, 
basically an Aaron Donald for offensive linemen. This guy's the quickest first step, basically coming out of the league. I'm um, coming out of college. And he's big um, for his position. He's big, but that at first his ability to get to the second level is, is unparalleled. I mean, they were showing him doing the shuttle and showing him kind of getting off the line. This guy gets he fires off that line. He's going to get to that second line, second level real easy to that linebacker and be able to have some nice little uh, alleys kind of created for the running backs as a result of that. So I think he was a, a hell of a, a draft pick for them and is going to be such an interesting playmate center. I think that he's got a, a really and really help Najee Harris moving forward. So I think Najee Harris is definitely somebody I'm looking at both redraft and in fantasy uh, for dynasty. Chris, who's more talented, Najee Harris or James Conner? Just quick, I have to go with quick Naj- answer. I think Najee Harris is more talented just okay. because I think all around he's more physical. My point that to ask that question is this: James Conner's first year as a starter, sixty-two percent of the carries, sixty-two percent of the targets for the running back position. Najee Harris will get at least that in this situation. I would be shocked if he wasn't somewhere in the territory of 70 to 75%, frankly, when it comes to that, when you look at the rest of this running back backfield with Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane, which, by the way, if you've been with this show for more than this season, I don't know why, but it felt like I was on an island with Anthony McFarlane last year. And I don't, I don't understand. All I kept saying is he's special teams player best. Especially everyone would love his explosive. I'm like, he has no vision. He can't break tackles. I just want to bring that up. I, I will bring up times where I was wrong. And Chris will do it for me if I don't. So don't worry about it. I, there will be a balance act to this. But that's one of those players where he got super hyped. And, it, and it's the same thing over it. And this, sometimes I, get to, I get, like to get philosophical on the show. This is one of those instances where I like to do that. It's the same thing over and over again where these guys who have this big speed burst or big speed explosive aspect to this game, all of their other shortcomings in their fundamental and what actually makes a good player at their position go to by the wayside because they're fast. Andy fast Isabella? is nice. Fast is not. What's that? Andy Isabella? Yeah, Andy Isabella is a great example of that. Fast is nice. Being able to actually play your position in football is better. And that's a big thing when it comes to the running back position. Just want to point that out. But anyway, so Najee Harris, I expect him to get 70% of the work across the board. That means he's going to be at least worth a second round pick, period. He just is. Even if they don't run the ball, because last year they didn't run the ball. Last year they threw the ball a ton. But even if they don't run the ball, 2018, James Conner, again, talking about him, he had 62% of the work where he was a, a, a top running back that year. They were 31st as far as team carries go. So even if they don't run the ball because he's going to get that much work, it doesn't matter. Look at James Robinson. Jaguars were the last team, 32nd in team rushing attempts. But no one complained about James Robinson's workload. I'm All I'm going to have to say is that there's been bad offenses with bad offensive lines, but when you have a decent running back with that much volume compared to the rest of the team, Najee Harris is as safe as they come, and there's a ceiling that we might not even realize yet. That's my point to be able to point all that out. Chris, the next pick that they had in the second round was Pat Freermuth. That was a reach. I know we've had our... I think we, I think we had an argument about Pat Freermuth before, if I'm not no, mistaken. Was, ours was more about Tremble and Long, but... I know yeah. ours was more about that, but Freermuth, look, there's a certain skill set that he does have, and I thought he was fine as a fourth-round pick tops second round now look when you have ebron on a contract for still another well, year that's what i'm getting to that's what i'm getting to it with eric ebron there 
So 2021 shot, not that you would take a chance on a rookie tight end, especially in his situation anyway. But even after that, there's nothing special to his game. He doesn't run routes very well. There's two routes he does well. He goes seam well, he does a drag well. He's an okay pass blocker. But here's here's the caveat. People get excited about tight ends on the Steelers because of Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger's not going to be there in 2022. So we have no idea what to expect. So Pat Freeman, he's going to have the draft capital to his name. Therefore, people are going to take him in their top four rounds in a rookie draft. This goes back to this tight end class being after Kyle Pitts. I don't care. Don't waste your draft pick. Go a different direction. Go with somebody with more upside for a different reason. Go ahead, Chris. Talk about Pat Freeman. I mean, I think that he has some ability to attack the seam. He's an okay blocker. I think that seems to be overrated. People compare him to Heath Miller. I'm like, um, Heath Miller could block his ass off. I don't think this guy can block his ass off necessarily. <laughs> um, wait, you could give me a comp to that I kind of just wouldn't argue. Jesse James. But guess what? Jesse James is going to go in the second round. So that's where I do think is a hell of a reach. I don't love the fit. I don't love the long-term fit necessarily. I hear the Ben thing a lot. Um, maybe he gets utilized a little bit this year. But with Eric Ebron having a pretty solid year last year, I don't see why. And people seem to forget Pittsburgh's loaded at the receiver position. So why all of a sudden are they going to start featuring Pat Freemith? I don't really understand. Um, I think Pittsburgh, like I said, should adjust, in my opinion, should adjust the, adjust the tackle position um, or some other positions like corner. But they're really going to have a, a hard time this year defensively. But I don't love that tight end pick at all. Yeah, especially in the second round. It just didn't make any sense to me to make the reach there. We both talked about Kendrick Green. We do think he's going to help them right away. Does Dan Moore Jr. help them right away? I don't think so. I mean, I don't to so. me, he's like the typical fourth-rounder guy where we had Banner go a couple years ago. They seem to always find some fourth-round tackle that they'll throw out there eventually. Um, but I don't think he gets thrown out there this year. They already have two other guys they drafted in the fourth round the last two years, I mean, Okafor and Banner, who are going to have the first shot to actually start. So I think he'll kind of wait his turn until those guys kind of flame out, and then he'll get a chance to flame out next year. <laughs> uh, the other fourth, they had three fourth-round picks. Buddy Johnson, linebacker. Fifth round, they go with Isaiah Loudermilk, a defensive end from Wisconsin. Quincy Roach, edge player, pass rusher type. That was a steal. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Trey Norwood from Miami, cornerback in the seventh round. Presley Harvin, they actually drafted a punter. I don't know why, but they did a punter in the seventh round. So, Chris, you, talk a, you can talk a little bit about Quincy Roach, but also talk about their overall draft grade in your mind. Overall, I give them a C plus. Um, similar to other teams where I love the Najee Harris pick, I love the Kendrick Green pick. The rest of the draft to me is eh. Um, I do like the Roche, Quincy Roche pick. I think it was a great steal. Um, Roche was one of the more productive outside rushers for Miami. I'm a big U fan, as we might know about now. Um, and he was the guy I was kind of shocked to fail that far. Uh, I think he's going to be one of those guys they can kind of use as a rotational pass rusher and will be effective. The rest of the draft, um, Norwood, I wasn't a big fan of Oklahoma. I'm not a big Buddy Johnson fan. So I think overall, there was a lot of reaches for them. They seem to be big on Texas A&M, I guess, this year. Um, but I don't necessarily understand why Texas A&M wasn't really that good. Um, but they they had some guys where I just think they reached a lot of things after that first round. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. So let's go to the next team. Cleveland Browns in a division. Team looking to make some headway here after a good year last year. Now, I have two feelings on their draft. Kind of a bittersweet situation, you could say. And being that I don't think their draft was overly impressive, but their draft did add a lot of depth in places where they were injured last year, kind of ran out of depth in a lot of situations. So it's kind of one of those things where this is a team that knows they are a Super Bowl contender, knows that they are a very good team. Didn't necessarily take the best players I felt like on the board, 
but attacked it in a very specific way to make sure, hey, if we have guys go down, we are going to have guys to step back up in that position. So it's a bittersweet. I feel I have two hearts when it comes to the Cleveland Browns draft. As far as fantasy value goes, we'll start with that because that's what this show is. The only guy we're talking about is Anthony Schwartz. That was a big reach. Well, uh, yeah, that's exactly my cop, actually, is Anthony Schwartz. You took Marquise Goodwin in the third round. And Marquise Goodwin is probably as good as he could ever help but be on top of it. I mean, that's a ceiling. I don't even know if he's necessarily definitely Marquise Goodwin. That might be his ceiling, quite frankly. Is he fast? Yeah. I mean, we just watched DK Metcalf run against Olympians, right? And we found out, you know, a 10.09 in a 100-meter dash is Olympic fast. That's what Anthony Schwartz won, uh, ran in college. He's Olympic fast, sure. But he's not a wide receiver. Let's, let's go back to the point I was talking about earlier. Guys who are fast, but are not actually fundamentally good at their position. Anthony Schwartz fits that bill to a T. Will he help them in the return game? Maybe. But that's it. This isn't a guy who runs routes. And he's not even a, in my mind, a developmental project guy. He's a guy who has a skill set, and I could see the room for potential. I don't see this guy suddenly getting the hips to run in and out of his breaks. Not only to mention, Cleveland, at most, they're going to run two receivers most of the time. Even if OGBJ moves on, it's still Rashard Higgins and Jarvis Landry. I don't see a pathway. And a lot of people want to talk up Schwartz because of the speed, and they also want to talk up the fact that he was a third-round pick. Draft capital is not the end-all, be-all. It's not. It's the player, ultimately, at the end of the day. Just go ahead. Give me a quick two cents on Anthony Schwartz. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Peoples Jones is a more of a talented receiver overall as a receiver than Anthony Schwartz will ever be. So I think to your point, well, I think Demetrius Belton, who they took in the sixth round, has a better chance to be relevant for them in some capacity than Anthony Schwartz. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look moving forward, I think that Peoples Jones and uh, Higgins and Landry's are going to be even they were to move on to OBJ, like I was saying, they're not going to. He's never going to really be a featured guy. Um, they love to use their tight ends too. Um, when you look at Stefanski as a coach. How often have their teams been aggressive down the field? Um, I think Stefan Diggs was upset because when he was in Minnesota, they weren't pushing the ball down the field enough for, for him. So I don't necessarily think this, this guy has any kind of fit. Now, the one thing he kind of does, some of what Marquise Goodwin did for the 49ers for a couple of years there, was he is somebody that can kind of keep you honest where you can't play necessarily the safeties in the box as easily. So maybe he opens up stuff for Landry, maybe he opens up stuff for the other guys. But it's almost like he's the guy who sets picks for other team, uh, you know, offensive player in basketball. Um, he's going to be that guy. Maybe he can help open up some stuff for people, but him productive wise isn't going to do anything. How how fantasy rel- relevant is uh, Andy Isabella? Exactly. Well, I mean, that's, that's, according, to our, according to a lot of experts, though, their first couple of years is like, oh, wait till Andy Isabella gets his shot. And what happened? Well, that's exactly my point because the draft capital, especially because they took him in the second round, Anthony Schwartz falls in that same category where everybody wants to hype him up because of the draft capital and speed, not recognizing that you're frankly, you're just not that good at football, period. And that ultimately matters more. So that that's kind of my point of why I bring that up. Uh, we talk about Demetrik Felton, the guy who's going to be a running back receiver type. This doesn't strike me as an offense to use a gadget player ever. We'll see if Felton can ever develop into a slot receiver. I'll say this. I'd rather take a shot on a Felton than an Anthony Schwartz because I actually think he gives you, he's just a better football player. But still, ultimately, fantasy-wise, not a lot to talk about with Cleveland. So, Chris, just go ahead. Give me their draft grade. So, I give Cleveland 
I, I look at Cleveland's drafts kind of similar to you. Do. I don't necessarily think they didn't take what was valuable on the board. Because the first two rounds, I thought they got incredible value. I love Greg Newsom. I think he was definitely one of the better players. Yeah, on the I had board him in the them. second round. I didn't have him in the okay. first round. And I like Awasu um, fell into them in the second round. I wasn't necessarily as big as everybody else seemed to be when he was a top 10 player. That I didn't agree with in any sense of the means. <laughs> but getting him in the second round, one thing that we do know Cleveland has struggled with is linebacker position for the past few years. Yeah. They needed somebody that could actually be a good a guy who can actually guard people out of the backfield, can actually guard tight ends, and actually make some tackles. So I think those two picks were awesome. The rest of the dress where they kind of lost me. I think the Schwartz pick was a hell of a reach. Um, I'm a Marcus Stevenson fan. Well, I think they could have got six or seventh round. So you want a fast guy, plenty of fast guys you could have gotten, the better. Um, James Hudson, what position is he going to play? Maybe yeah. a guard at some point. He's not a tackle. He's too small. Um, Tommy Togaya, um, I think there's a nice little body to throw out there. Needed some more girth in the middle for them. So I can't hate on that pick necessarily, but I didn't love it in, his, in the fourth round, but I don't understand kind of what they're looking for. Tony Fields, Richard LeCarnt, uh, and Felton. Felton's the only guy I kind of think they took a good shot on. You judge in the seventh round. You got a kind of an insurance guy in a sense round, for a plan. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Um, Felton is a guy that you kind of, sixth round, yes, um, that you kind of have his ability to kind of fill maybe a poor man's Jarvis Landry role or a poor man's Cream Hunt role in a sense. So what, something happens to either one of those two guys moving forward or even just long term. Maybe he can fill that kind of void for them in a sense. So I like that pick. But the rest of it, I just thought was like, yes, they got some depth. Um, but I think Cleveland really could have knocked the ball out of the ballpark. If those first two picks I was really excited about was going on, and all of a sudden it was just like they forgot who they remember they were Cleveland and didn't want to be too good. <laughs> all right, so let's go to the last team that we're going to talk about on the show, which is the Baltimore Ravens. There's some interesting fantasy things that we're going to have to talk about when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens. Rashad Bateman is a guy that was a phenomenal NFL pick. Phenomenal. NFL pick by the Baltimore Ravens. Fantasy wise, I would have rather seen him go somewhere else. I, I really, I would rather seen him go somewhere else. Chris, you realize that the Ravens only threw the ball 406 times last year. The year previous, when Lamar Jackson did lead the league in touchdowns, they still only threw the ball 440 times. So let's say, for argument's sake, we bump up 20% of the output when it comes to the, the player pass attempts. And then, you know, you want to add the 17th game on what that does, whatever. Ultimately, what it boils down to, this is still the only team that's not going to throw the ball 500 times, even in a 17-game season. That's ultimately what it boils down to. We've seen Marquise Brown, when you compare percentages of targets, have one of the highest percentages of team targets out of any wide receiver. And the volume still ultimately not be there. So here's my problem with Rashad Bateman. Marquis Brown, at least we know, is a big play threat wide receiver. He's a guy who doesn't necessarily need all the targets in the world to be fantasy relevant because he's going to make that big play. Rashad Bateman, one of the reasons I love him is he's a guy you can feature. But he's not a guy who I think is, for fantasy purposes, I'm just talking strictly fantasy purposes, who's going to just take the top off the field all the time. He's a guy that you throw to and target often and get him in rhythm, almost kind of like a running back, kind of like a Michael Thomas that we compared him to. We also, well, I compared him to, and you compared him to DeAndre Hopkins. Same same type of situation. Same type of situation. The attempts have to be there. So when you look at Rashad Bateman, definitely has dynasty value. I don't think has 2021. Well, I don't think he's more than wide receiver for 2021. Let me put it that way. He's a tough one to grade 
because I think he's a superstar receiver talent. But man, I do not love this situation. What is your outlook for Rashad Bateman from a strictly fantasy standpoint? Because from an NFL standpoint, I think we both agree this was a great move for the Ravens. Yes, I'm torn. I understand the statistics when it comes to how often Greg Roman does not throw the ball. Um, but I did watch the old 49ers team, and I did watch Antoine Bold and Michael Crabtree both be pretty effective for the 49ers overall, particularly fantasy-wise. Um, I do think that they're going to have to throw the ball more. I think that's the given. I think the Harbaugh's made that kind of a mandate in a sense. And when it comes to Bateman, I have like a huge uh, variety of ways I look at him. I think I, I can look at the point viewpoint you're kind of looking at where he's just kind of a, a guy who gets maybe has some decent games here or there. Maybe he becomes like the Corey Davis in a sense of their offense where he's just kind of a, you know, gets five, six targets, kind of catches some first downs. But then I also look at people like Justin Jefferson, like people like A.J. Brown. Now he's not explosive to A.J. Brown is. But I look at those two players and their, and the fit that they had when it came to the teams that they were on, where it was like, well, where's the volume going to come from? Sometimes when you're just good, you're good, and you might just yeah, find even your the volume comes to the ball 550 times. I mean, we're talking about people, a serious people low expecting that going into the season. I mean, we, we forgot that Stefan Diggs wanted out for a reason. Like, he wanted to get traded out of there because he wasn't getting the ball. So Minnesota wasn't going to be a team that we were projecting to throw the ball so much so many times last year. We knew they were a run-down aid offense. My Diggs, point was more, still, Diggs was still hovering around the 100 target mark. Marquise Brown's top target year was his past year at 95 targets. That was with an insane target reception percentage. I look and, at Cleveland as, a, as an easy example. Okay, Cleveland doesn't like throw the ball very much either. And I think Lamar Jackson is better than Baker Mayfield personally. Just by, People might question Lamar's ability to throw the ball. I don't. So I look at that kind of fit. And as a Jarvis Landry type for Bateman being... I do think he can be a guy who can definitely eat. Now, I don't think he's necessarily going to be the Jefferson. I can, like I said, I can kind of look at the viewpoint and see that he could be possibly. I think you're going to have a hard time actually trying to take him away because you have Marquise Brown, because you have Andrews. You have different guys that you, you can't just key on him. And I think he's a fantastic route runner. He will be open. I think Lamar can have guys. We saw even with Willie Sneed, where he was using Willie Sneed a lot a couple of years ago because Willie Sneed could get open. Um, I do think that Bateman is going to be like, I can get open. Now, will it be something where he has, you know, 1,200 yards? I don't know. But I, do, I don't think it's unfathomable that he has around 8 to 800 to 1,000 yards and around that 7 to 10 touchdown range. That, to me, is actually obtainable. I don't think he's going to be a guy that you're actually going to have as your top receiver or even a top rookie receiver this year. But I do think that he's going to be better than people realize because he is that good. It's just, this is a perfect situation of a tug of war between my heart and my head. Because my heart is Bateman's a great talent. Lamar Jackson's a great talent. I love their pieces. But in my head, the math ultimately just doesn't add up right now. And that this is where it kind of goes in hand in hand. So here's would be my overall advice to people out there to about to have the rookie drafts. Rashad Bateman does belong in the first round in your rookie draft, especially when you're talking about 12-team leagues. He doesn't belong ahead of Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, he doesn't belong ahead of those guys. He doesn't belong ahead of Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, especially not Kyle Pitts. And he doesn't belong ahead of any of the quarterbacks. So very much what I'm saying to you is that he needs to be the guy after all those players are taken. Then you start to look at Rashad Bateman because the math, unfortunately, as it stands right now, does not add up. There's too much risk there to go too high on Rashad Bateman. I think he's a great receiver. I think Lamar Jackson's a better passer than people give him credit for. I think the Ravens will throw more. My problem is the Ravens throwing more could mean 
450 attempts. If you want well, to say let me ask you a question about dynasty yeah. wise. We've talked about this off the, off the air. We both are under the impression that we're not guaranteeing Marquise Brown gets that second contract in Baltimore. Does that change your viewpoint at all? No, because I think Tillon Wallace, who we're about to talk about in a second, would then step into that role similarly. The, the, the only thing that would change my viewpoint is if Rashad Bateman were to overtake Mark Andrews in the red zone. Then we have a conversation on our hands, which I think is a possibility. Not, not 2021, but I think it's a possibility at some point down the road. If he overtakes Mark Andrews in the red zone, now you're talking about a receiver who could be looking at double-digit touchdowns and you don't necessarily need 120-plus targets, let's say, to be a top receiver. That's what would ch- that's what it would have to take though, and that's the part where it gets it gets very very tricky. Where outside of a Lamar Jackson, outside of a J.K. Dobbins, and outside of a Mark Andrews, I think everybody else from a fantasy perspective has a lot of risk in this offense as a result, and and that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like, Tillon Wallace, let's just talk about him because we just brought him up again. Another player, NFL wise, great value. Couldn't believe he went as late as he did. Fits that team well. We talked, we just brought it up. We don't know if Marquise Brown truly gets that second contract because really when you're the Ravens, you operate this way. What's the point of actually having to pay a Marquise Brown? Tillon Wallace would fit that role perfectly to step in his place. So I think there's a pathway for him to start. Again, the volume, the passing attacks, it all, it all comes down to where I think Tillon Wallace is going to be a better DFS, better best ball player than he's ever going to be for Dynasty or Redraft Leagues. But speak to me about Tillon Wallace. I love Tom Wallace. I don't understand the hate for this player. There seem to be questions about the athleticism. I mean, he was hurt last year. Which makes no sense. We still ran a 4-4. There was always only one trick pony because he only gets down the field. So how can you lack athleticism but only get down the field? And then, oh, by the way, this guy doesn't drop anything. So I'm really confused why there's a hate for him. He's not the best pass route runner in this sense because he wasn't asked to run routes in Oklahoma State's offense. I think that's more where he gets knocked about than anything else. Um, I heard similar things about Patrick Mahomes coming from a system that wasn't projected to the NFL. So we'll see how that actually unfa- unfolds for this guy. This guy, to me, has all the skill sets you're looking for. He's tough. He attacks the ball. He can't get yards after the catch. And I think he's going to be a fantastic value for them. Um, and I don't necessarily know how much value he has for, you know, redraft or even dynasty necessarily yet because there's so many things that kind of be remain to be un- untold when it comes to the Ravens in a lot of ways. But I'm a big believer that when you have a lot of talent in a position and you're talented and you're good, eventually the cream rises to the top, especially usually in football. I do trust Harbaugh above all. I do trust the Ravens system. I don't trust necessarily Greg Roman, but Greg Roman might be the guy there because we've seen Harbaugh move on from other coordinators when he doesn't, they don't do what he wants them to do. And it could be either way. He moved on from Cam Cameron because Cam Cameron was too conservative for him. That's way with the morning wake. We saw him move on, move on from morning wake because he wanted to make extra run the ball more. So he went to Greg Roman. But I do think there's going to be another pendulum swing. With the, You look at the teams they have in place. If you're going to pay Lamar Jackson as your future quarterback and your superstar, you're going to want to start throwing the ball more than just running the ball all the time. No, I agree with that as well. As far as the rest of the draft goes, they took with their second first round pick, they took a Gaddafi away, which was nice for me because I actually wound up winning money. If you actually watched our NFL draft coverage during that, the M- Billy Up Sports' MDs and BFL's draft coverage, which will be back next year. Stay tuned. Uh, in the third round, great pick. Ben Cleveland, guard, fits that system perfectly. Big mauler, great value. Uh, also in the third round, they took Brandon Stevens, the cornerback. Fourth round, Tillon Wallace. Fifth round, Sean Wade, the cornerback. Had a secondary fifth-round pick, Dalen Hayes, edge player. A third fifth-round pick, only team to take a fullback. Very shocking. Ben Mason there, right there. And that pretty much wraps with their draft. So, Chris, go ahead and give me the draft grade of the Ravens overall. 
I mean, I got to give them an A. I, I almost want to give them an A+. Plus. I mean, they just knocked it out of the ballpark. Don't forget, they signed Washington, one of the top safeties, with on um, the other side from TSU, TCU, I should say, um, and they signed him to director free agent. This team just loaded up this offseason when it comes to draft picks and, and guys coming out of college. I think Ben Cleveland's the one that's going to really stand out for people. You know, this guy isn't just a mauler. You and I are both big fans of his, but he's a hell of a pass protector. One of the things that gets kind of underutilized and under-talked about when it comes to the Ravens is their interior offensive line sucked the last couple of years. That's probably why Lamar couldn't stay in the pocket and throw the ball as much as he probably would like to. Or even maybe Ray Roman didn't call the ball as many passes as they wanted to because when it came down to it, their offensive line couldn't really pass protect that well. Adding him and Zyder inside, I think, is going to be a significant upgrade for them and it's going to really pay off the, not only in the running game, but a lot in the passing game, a lot more people realize. Um, yeah, I think their draft was not it is an awesome job. I mean, they, they got value everywhere. They got playmakers. They addressed the guys that they kind of and a lot. Why I wasn't a huge fan of him going necessarily in the top 15. People were talking about him as a second rounder in the Ravens system. Yeah. Bye, Judon. Who cares? Moving on. We got a new guy who can be our edge rusher moving forward. I think they did a fantastic job. I, I, I agree as well. The Ravens always seem to draft well, and it continued on in this year. Hey, guys, guess what time it is? The mail's here. All right. It is mailbag time. Now, remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment or if you just have a fantasy question in general that needs to be answered, all you have to do is hit us up on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow. Whether you get on the mailbag segment or not, we will answer your question. We like to select a few that we really liked a lot to be able to talk about. And we might like them a lot for different reasons. Maybe it was a really good question or maybe it was a question that I've been seeing a lot of in, in different places. But let's start off. Todd here. He asked me, Aaron Jones or Antonio Gibson in a half-point PPR dynasty, he wanted to make a note that his team is ready to win now. This is a trade that he was referring to. Uh, Todd, Aaron Jones, buddy. Right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, as long as Aaron Rodgers is that quarterback, I have to go Aaron Jones, too. And you guys guys can't forget, J.D. McKissick still came back to the Washington, unfortunately. That's the key point. That's the key point. Look, should J.D. McKissick be getting all those targets over Antonio Gibson? No, he shouldn't be. Logically speaking, if you're looking at Antonio Gibson, his best skill set is his receiving ability. However, that wasn't the case. I don't know if it changes for sure this year. But here's what I do know for a fact. Regardless of whether Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, Jamal Williams is gone. Aaron Jones is going to get the overwhelming majority of the receptions because A.J. Dillon is a zero when it comes to the passing game. So even if it's a 60-40 split in favor of Aaron Jones for carries, it's going to be a 90-10 split in favor of receptions. Aaron Jones is going to be a top five running back I was about to say top three. I'm going to have to see when we do the projections, but he's going to be knocking on the door. He's going to be in the top five when it comes to 2021. Your team's ready to win now. This is a no-brainer. You don't make this move. I don't know why you'd be even entertaining it. I understand that Aaron Rodgers, you're worried about what happens if he leaves. Do I not get as good a value of Antonio Gibson? How, how good is the Green Bay Packer offense? I would say this. You should still be able to get a value or similar to an Antonio Gibson for an Aaron Jones because Aaron Jones does not stop becoming a superstar just because Aaron Rodgers leaves. In fact, if anything, the offense might get featured more around him because it might get featured more around the running game from a volume standpoint. There's no scenario in my mind where Aaron Jones isn't the guy head and shoulders, even in dynasty leagues, that you want to have over Antonio Gibson. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think Antonio Gibson was a nice, had a nice story, had a good year last year. But when it comes to guys who were been superstars the last couple of years, Aaron Jones has been a superstar when he's been out there. All right, so let's go to our next question. We got Cal PPR Dynasty. Do I trade Josh Jacobs for Kyle Pitts? Good, Chris. Uh, I mean, I understand tight ends is a hard position to necessarily kind of land and find a good one. Um, but I don't think I, I'm not a Gruden fan. And I'm, I'm kind of disappointed what Jacobs is going to be this year in a sense, but I couldn't give, I couldn't pull the trigger on that move. I think I'm Jacobs so has got to, I think, I think Jacobs has got too much value down the road. I think he's got too much talent. And I look at what he actually brings to the table. I think that he's a guy that I definitely would be giving up even though, even for a tight end option, such as Pitts. I'm so glad you said that because the reason I brought this question in was an example of the Kyle Pitts value from a dynasty standpoint is out of control. It's absolutely out of control. People are taking Kyle Pitts at the one-on-one in the rookie drafts over Trevor Lawrence, over Jamar Chase. It's insane. Look, even if he comes Travis Kelsey, Best case scenario, right? Comes to Travis Kelsey. Points wise, Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback, Jamar Chase is a wide receiver one down the road, are circling to score infinitely more points than Kyle Pitts ever will. I get the value. That's why Kyle Pitts is still top five rookie, sure. Especially in, in one quarterback dynasty leagues. I should add that into the caveat as well. But it, the value on him has become insane. It's very much like. You could trade any player for Kyle Pitts. That's what his value essentially has become. It's nuts. This is a great point. Josh Jacobs, not a great situation this year. We both talked about on the show. Offensive line, things going to be terrible. We have no idea what to expect with the amount of money they gave Kenyon Drake to come in for absolutely no reason. We don't trust Gruden. But ultimately, Josh Jacobs is a 24-year-old, very good running back. He's still going to be more valuable to your team than a Kyle Pitts is going to be. And we, we're going to have more to talk about Kyle Pitts to warn people about overdraft. I love Kyle Pitts, but he's going to become he's going to become one of these guys that we're going to sound like we hate because the value has just swung too far the other way. It's, it's already trending in that direction. So we're going to get more into that, but that was a great yes. You keep Josh Jacobs. You do not trade him for Kyle Pitts, Cal. Next question, Johnny. Do I trade Keenan Allen and a 2022 first round pick for Michael Thomas and a 2022 second round pick in a half point PPR dynasty league? Go ahead. Uh, hell no. Why would you do that? Um, number one, why would I get my first rounder for a second rounder? Well, that, Michael yeah. Thomas, Michael Thomas. I like Michael Thomas. I don't know as down as the rest of the people seem to be, but as long as Justin Herbert's the quarterback for the chargers, there's one guy and one guy he looks at most 90% of the time. That's Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen doesn't have a. I, I say Michael Thomas has much more of a ceiling than Keenan Allen does in a sense, and I don't see giving up a first rounder in addition to Keenan Allen to get a second rounder and Michael Thomas. I'm sorry, you don't take that shot at all. Agree. Look, I think people are too low on the value of a Michael Thomas with a Jameis Winston coming into this thing. But to your point, ultimately, these are two of the same receivers. They're high volume targeted wide receivers. The key point is, why are you giving up a first round for a second round pick for two receivers that are relatively in the same tier? Yeah, 100% with you on that one. Quinn, this is a good one. 
DeAndre Hopkins for AJ Brown in a PPR 2021 league. Not that 2021. DeAndre Hopkins for AJ Brown. Go. I'm going to have to go no. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think you have to keep AJ Brown for that. I mean, I, I think AJ Brown, we kind of talked about throughout the show, we think he's going to be utilized. I am concerned about Todd Browning or Todd Downing, I should say, but I look at what's going on in Arizona. And I think adding weapons to Arizona's team isn't going to help DeAndre Hopkins. I think it actually hurts him, especially in PPR. Having somebody like Moore can actually run some of those option routes is going to take away a lot of his volume. I'm not, I would not make that trade. A.J. Brown is in a position to get more volume than he ever has. DeAndre Hopkins-like status volume, even if he's 20 targets less than a DeAndre Hopkins, the difference is going to be he's going to be way more utilized in the red zone. That's been proven. So ultimately, I'm with you. A.J. Brown goes to further my point. I will have him ranked ahead of DeAndre Hopkins. So I'm going with A.J. Brown on that one. That's the last of our questions. So we had two polls that I want to get into for a little bit here. Uh, my first poll was, who is the starting quarterback for the Bears week one, Justin Fields or Andy Dalton? 58% voted for Justin Fields. So they who you want. What's that? It's not who they want to start. It's who will start. Go ahead. It's, it's who will start. No, <laughs> I, I agree. But we had this conversation last week a little bit, so that's why I asked the question on Sunday. So 58% of the public agrees with me, Chris, that Justin Fields will be the week one starter. Go ahead, give your comments to that. I think 58% of the, the public has logic, and you think that's what it should be. <laughs> but they The other 42% not... knows what the Bears are. <laughs> exactly. They're not Chicago Bear fans, I bet you. And they bet you they're not Nagy fans. And if you know who, how Nagy rolls and how the Bears have rolled historically, there's 100% chance Andy Dalton will be the starting quarterback week one. The, look, it's the, that's, the, that's the point to hit on, is that if the Bears are illogical, Andy Dalton will be the starter week one. If they're smart or they're logical, it'll be Justin Fields. That's ultimately comes down to, unfortunately, who knows what the Bears are actually going to do because they can be just illogical as logical at times. Last poll talk about, and I thought this was interesting, I said over under 250 carries, not touches, carries for Najee Harris in 2021. So, Chris, just first of all, tell me if you think he's going to get over or under 250 carries. I think it's going to be under 250 carries. I mean... We talked about this off air the other day about how many carries actually running backs are actually seeing. Um, it's not as high as many people think. The, the days of the 300 carry guys are very rare. And I don't definitely don't think why well, I think Matt Canada is going to make more of an effort to run in Pittsburgh. They definitely their, their playmakers are primarily at the receiver position. So I don't see them all of a sudden becoming a run first team. Um, unless you're run first team, your running back really gets 250 carries. So I do think he's going to get the touches combined, but I don't think he gets the carries. So to speak to that, the public voted 62% in favor of Najee Harris getting over 250 carries. And I have to admit, at first, my initial thoughts were were two things. One, uh, it's a it's a work bell cow running back in a Pittsburgh system. So I'm like, yeah, of course I'll get 250 carries. But I had to think about it. I was like, you know what? No, we live in a different day and age. The last Pittsburgh Steeler running back to get 250 carries was late, over that mark was Le'Veon Bell back in 2017. It's been some time. Not to mention, in 2020, three running backs. Three running backs had over 250 carries. You want to know their names? Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs. That's it. Everybody else had under 250 carries. Is he going to be on that level? I don't think he will be because, to your point, 
the 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 team is still going to be featured around the wide receivers, still going to be featured around the quarterback. And while I talked about I'm not worried about his volume overall, he will get over 250 touches, but carry wise is a bit of a question mark, and it's kind of more of an enlightening factor for what today's day and age is when it comes to the running back position. And that's why I thought it was kind of interesting to go over under for 250 carries. And the fact that so many people in the public say over so easily when he could be the bell cow and stop at 240 with maybe 50 receptions. He might, maybe he gets 300 touches, but it won't be because he gets 250 carries necessarily. And I don't think it will be with the way this team is particularly constituted in 2021. There's always an interesting factor there when you actually look at it with the running backs who actually get that much, it doesn't happen very often anymore. It just doesn't. You have to be one of the top of the top of the top. Chris, one caveat, one caveat I was going to say real quick for that is that I do think this is the first, you know, this is be the first time we've ever had somebody play 17 games. So with that 17th game, maybe there's a chance that he reaches that number. I actually um, meant so to I'm talk about that, to... yeah. Yeah, that, 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 thank you for bringing that up because I, I actually meant to talk about that. So the only reason why I think he could go over 250 carries would be because of that 17th game if he plays all 17 games. But it wouldn't be on the same uh, rate, I should say, as, as the other running backs leading up to this point. It's just kind of an interesting thing. But that, if you want to look at it technicality-wise, 17th game, maybe that's why he goes over 250 carries. I'm kind of with you there on that one. That's going to do it for the show. It's a great show. I thought we had, we had fantastic, fantastic analysis. So we're going to wrap up the last eight teams next week for the NFL Draft Recap. Then we'll start getting to the team profile episodes and start breaking down, really getting into 2021. Because this is where this is the time of year we start to make that shift, where it's not so much about dynasty anymore. It's about getting ready for your 2021 redraft leagues. Most of the fantasy football world still plays redraft compared to dynasty. And we're going to start making that transition as we go through the team profiles, talk about some of the coaching, what their impacts are going to be along with the players. It's really what we live for. And, you know, that's we do that four teams per episode, eight episodes long. And then we're talking about our rankings. Cause guess what? At that point, it's going to be August. That's how close we are to the NFL season coming guys. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. The MD Football show will be back next week again from 11 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. on the worldwide sports radio network, WWSRN. You can catch Chris and I at belly up MDFF show on your social media accounts. Remember, ask us whatever fantasy question that you have. Make sure you check us out tomorrow night, Saturday night, DSC's DFS Challenge Show. We'll be back at 9.30. It's the NBA playoffs. We'll be talking about that along with DFS and sports betting. We'll have Chaz already on, as we always do. All great. And, and this Tuesday, actually, it is this, this week, we'll be back on BUFL Football at Belly Up Fantasy. You'll be able to check that out. We're going to be to- talking about our top eight dynasty rookie quarterbacks and our top 10 dynasty rookie running backs with Adam and Chad as well. So make sure you guys are checking that all out and give us a follow. Hit us up and subscribe on our favorite streaming app. We'll talk to you guys real soon and see you again next week. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.